It's time for Shattered Soulstone. Featuring the latest news from Sanctuary and beyond. Each episode, a heroic party of Nephilim band together to help keep you informed on everything in the Diablo universe. And now, your Diablo Community Podcast. Coming to you from somewhere in Sanctuary, this is episode 389 of Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo Community Podcast. This episode is called... Lilith is coming. It is December 9, 2022, and this is Jen. So I had way too many things collected for this show, and I had to narrow them down greatly uh, because I just didn't think anyone wanted all of that stuff all at once. So here's the things that I thought were most important to add to the show. First, I'm going to talk about the Life at Blizzard account. They have a habit of, a good habit of highlighting people on their various teams. And this time they highlighted uh, Ash Sweetring, who is a game producer on Diablo 4. You've probably seen her Twitter account with some Diablo stuff lately. And uh, they always put a picture of the person and their name and their title, which is Game Producer Diablo 4. And then they let them like say something it's all just text but this is what she wrote a decade ago i was shy now as a person with adhd i have so many tools to help me be a better producer and i'm comfortable in leadership roles i wake up every day knowing i'm not just going to a job i'm putting my talents to something that so many people care about so deeply my dreams are skyrocketing and my heart is full because i'm potentially making some girl out there feel the way i felt playing diablo for the first time i've come so far since then and i'm the happiest i've ever been that's from ash sweet ring which is very cool that they do highlight people that are doing stuff. The Washington Post has an article titled Microsoft Says It Will Bring Call of Duty to Nintendo, which is kind of surprising to me. This is written by Shannon Liao and um, Nintendo. Nintendo does not strike me as a game where you're going to shoot people, (laughs) you know? I'm thinking like, you know, some of the Mario stuff and the pocket camp stuff and the and all that other stuff um, that's like cute and like fun for kids to do and stuff like that. I'm sure there's other things I'm missing here, but does Nintendo want Call of Duty? <laughs> I mean, do they? Let's find out. I'll read you a little bit about this. This is again from the Washington Post. Microsoft has signed a deal to bring the Activision Blizzard published Call of Duty franchise to the Nintendo Switch for the first time, the company announced Tuesday night. Pending approval of its acquisition of Activision Blizzard, the deal guarantees that Microsoft, which is awaiting federal approval for its acquisition of Activision Blizzard for $68.7 billion, would make available the popular first-person shooter series on Nintendo Switch for 10 years. It also announced a 10-year deal to keep Call of Duty on the PC game store Steam. In an interview with the Washington Post Tuesday night, Microsoft Gaming CEO Phil Spencer did not specify the first year of a Call of Duty title would be available on the Nintendo Switch. A future Call of Duty title would likely be the first to arrive on the Switch, though Spencer said the entire existing portfolio would need to be examined to see which games would be brought over to the Switch. Quote, You can imagine if, brackets the deal, end of brackets, closed on that date, starting to do development work to make that happen would likely take a little bit of time, Spencer said, referring to the June 2023 date the merger is supposed to close if it is not blocked by regulators. Quote, once we get into the the rhythm of this, our plan would be when a Call of Duty game launches on PlayStation, Xbox, and PC that would also be available on Nintendo at the same time. Spencer said Activision Blizzard has been made aware of the agreement and is in a, a planning phase. Spencer pointed to Microsoft-owned titles like Minecraft making their way to the Switch as examples of how the company has experienced bringing games to different platforms. We could do this with Minecraft as well, where we could do specific work to make the game run well on Nintendo Switch and their silicone and support their platform completely, Spencer said. We do the same when we ship on PlayStation 5. When asked if the Switch had enough technical specifications to run Call of Duty smoothly, Spencer said, Minecraft and Call of Duty are different games, but from how you get games onto Nintendo, how you run a development team that is targeting multiple platforms, that's experience we have. Goes on from there. So he's very optimistic. 
The Verge also wrote Microsoft reaches 10-year deal with Nintendo for Call of Duty, which is, I just, does Nintendo want this? I mean, I guess they do, but it just seems like, you know, when I think of Nintendo, like I said, I think of these, like, cute little games where, you know, yeah, you can fight people sometimes, but you're not, like, blowing their head off with, you know, weapons, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. So, like, is this, like, is this kid-friendly? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of blows my mind. Yeah, so the Verge article is going to be similar to the Washington Post article, as all of these things kind of do. And there is um, some of this I've already said. Microsoft confirmed earlier this week, says The Verge, that it had offered Sony a 10-year contract to make each new Call of Duty release available on PlayStation the same day as it launches on Xbox. It's a concession that has been hinted at in recent weeks as regulators increase their scrutiny of Microsoft's plan to acquire Activision Blizzard. Quote, any day Sony wants to sit down and talk, we'll be happy to hammer out a 10-year deal for PlayStation as well, said Smith on Twitter shortly after the Nintendo deal announcement. Microsoft Gaming CEO Phil Spencer announced the Nintendo and Valve commitments of oh, them too, huh? Late on Tuesday night, just ahead of a closed-door meeting at the Federal Trade Commission on Wednesday, Microsoft President Brad Smith and other company executives are expected to meet with the FTC Chair Lena Khan and other commissioners today, according to a Bloomberg report. This, post, this posted on December 7th. So yeah, they've already met with them by now, and there's a little bit more in here about... At this point, it would have to be speculation for the most part, or good guessing, because at this point, when The Verge wrote this, we didn't know what was going to happen with the FTC. So just that something was going to happen. So there's that one. Um, we have an article here from Windows Central, and it's titled, Microsoft President, the FTC suing us over Activision would be a, quote, huge mistake. This is written by Jez Corden, uh, published four days ago, I think. Um, so here's a little bit from that. In an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, Microsoft President Brad Smith went to task outlining the company's position on its blockbuster Activision Blizzard acquisition valued at $69 billion. Recent rumors have been swirling that the FTC plans to sue to block the deal or at least force Microsoft to climb down and offer Sony PlayStation, the market leader, some hefty concessions. The situation is somewhat unprecedented since it would mark the first time in history a regulator had stepped in to protect a market leader. Despite the fact Microsoft had asserted a repeatedly and even offered to contractually commit to a 10-year deal to ensure Call of Duty remains on PlayStation. A lot of the uproar revolving around the deal centers on Sony's protests that Microsoft may seek to foreclose the world's biggest shooter from PlayStation, despite the millions and billions of dollars Microsoft would make by continuing to publish it on its platform. Brad Smith explains that the entire point of this merger is offering consumers choice through a Netflix-like low-cost streaming service that many of us know today as Xbox Game Pass. And then we have the actual FTC announcement. Okay, it's not very long. So this is from, you know, Federal Trade Commission, and it's for release. It is a press release. It is titled, FTC seeks to block Microsoft Corps, or Corps, Corps, uh, acquisition of Activision Blizzard, Inc., and the blurb underneath that says, Agency alleges that maker of Xbox would gain control of top video game franchises, enabling it to harm competition in high-performance gaming consoles and subscription services by denying or degrading rivals' access to its popular content. That sounds the opposite of what we've been hearing from all of these other news sites that talk about gaming. All this time, you know... People over at Microsoft are like, yeah, we're going to totally let them have this for 10 years and we'll release it the same day. And if they want to talk, we can work with them. And, you know, so this is, I don't know where they got this idea from, but that's what they wrote or whoever wrote it. I don't think the Federal Trade Commission itself wrote it. They probably have somebody doing this type of thing, especially since it's a press release. So here's what it said. It's from yesterday, December 8th. The Federal Trade Commission is seeking to block technology giant Microsoft Corp from acquiring leading video game developer Activision Blizzard Inc. and its blockbuster gaming franchises such as Call of Duty, alleging that the $69 billion deal, Microsoft's largest ever and the largest ever in the video gaming industry, 
would enable Microsoft to suppress competitors to its Xbox gaming consoles and its rapidly growing subscription content and cloud gaming business. In a complaint issued today, and there's a link to that because I'm I'm not going to read the whole complaint right now, the FTC pointed to Microsoft's record of acquiring and using valuable gaming content to suppress competition from rival consoles, including its acquisition of ZeniMax, parent company of Bethesda Softworks, a well-known game developer, that part's in parentheses, Microsoft decided to make several of Bethesda's titles, including Starfield and Redfall, Microsoft exclusives, despite assurances it had given to European antitrust authorities that it had no incentive to withhold games from rival consoles. Quote, Microsoft has already shown that it can and will withhold content from its gaming rivals, said Holly Vidova, director of the FTC's Bureau of Competition. Quote, today we seek to stop Microsoft from gaining control over a leading independent game studio and using it to harm competition in multiple dynamic and fast-growing gaming markets, end of quote. Microsoft's Xbox Series S and Series X are one of only two types of high-performance video game consoles. Importantly, Microsoft also offers a leading video game content subscription service called Xbox Game Pass, as well as a cutting-edge cloud-based video game streaming service, according to the complaint. Activision is one of only a very small number of top video game developers in the world that create and publish high-quality video games for multiple devices, including video game consoles, PCs, and mobile devices. It produces some of the most most iconic and popular video game titles, including Call of Duty, World of Warcraft, Diablo, and Overwatch, and has millions of monthly active users around the world, according to the FTC's complaint. Activision currently has a strategy of offering its games on many devices, regardless of the producer. But that could change if the deal is allowed to proceed. With control over Activision's blockbuster franchises, Microsoft would have both the means and motive to harm competition by manipulating Activision's pricing, degrading Activision's game quality or player experience on rival consoles and gaming services, changing the terms and timing of access to Activision's content, or withholding content from competitors entirely, resulting in harm to consumers. Goes on from there a little bit. The commission has four people on it. Three people voted uh, to go ahead and do this, and one person voted not to. It is my understanding from other stuff I've read that the three people that uh, voted, yeah, we want to do this, are are Democrats, and the one that said, no, don't do this, is a Republican, for whatever that's worth. Yeah, so there's the thing, right? There's the thing. So now we have um, the Washington Post with a different article uh, talking about what just happened with the FTC, also on December 8, written by Kat uh, Zareski, Naomi Nix, and Shannon Liao. It's called Twin Complaints Signal New FTC Strategy to Reign in Tech Industry. Lawsuit to block Microsoft's Activision acquisition and opening arguments in trial over Facebook's deal to buy within Mark or within something called within. I don't know what that is. Uh, Mark most aggressive actions against big tech under Lena Khan. So here's a little bit from this one. Uh, the Federal Trade Commission on Thursday took its most aggressive most aggressive actions since Lena Khan became chair to rein in the power of big tech, pursuing a lawsuit to block Microsoft's acquisition of a game developer on the same day it opened arguments in another case against Meta's purchase of a virtual reality startup. In both cases, the FTC argued that the acquisitions would squash future innovation in emerging gaming markets, a relatively novel interpretation of antitrust law that caused and there's a little D here for Democrat, and her allies have championed as they seek to usher in an era of competition enforcement. The complaints follow long-running criticism that federal regulators have not been forward-looking enough in evaluating deals in Silicon Valley, allowing tech titans to dominate by gobbling up their much smaller rivals. The FTC suit against Microsoft would block the company's $69 billion acquisition of the video game publisher Activision Blizzard, charging that the deal would allow the Redmond Washington tech giant to suppress its competitors in gaming. If the FTC's lawsuit prevails, it would foil Microsoft's ambitions to become a heavier hitter in the gaming industry. Activision is the owner of popular titles such as Candy Crush and Call of Duty, and its acquisition could bolster Microsoft in its competition with Japanese console maker makers Nintendo and Sony. Well, it's said, we just read 
they were Microsoft was going to have Nintendo go ahead and have Call of Duty. So I don't know what's going on here. Here's a little bit more. Microsoft's case. Microsoft President Brad Smith signaled that the company would fight the lawsuit, saying in a statement that the company has, quote, been committed since day one to address competition concerns. Quote, while we believed in giving peace a chance... That's a lovely phrase. We have complete confidence in our case and welcome the opportunity to present our case in court, Smith said. Since declaring its intention to buy Activision in January, Microsoft has announced policies and arrangements intended to show regulators that the deal would not give it an unfair advantage in the gaming market or harm workers. On Tuesday, as it was apparent the agency was nearing a decision on the deal, Microsoft announced that it would bring Call of Duty franchise to the Call of Duty franchise to Nintendo Switch, a rival of Xbox. It previously had said it would make those games available on rival Sony's PlayStation. The FTC moved to block the deal a day after Microsoft staff met with agency representatives to discuss the lawsuit, according to a person familiar with the meeting who spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss a private meeting. Smith said the company offered proposed concessions to the agency earlier this week. There's a lot in here, and everything I've talked about today is going to be in the show notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com, so if you want to read the full article, you'll at least be able to find it there. Some of these like to be behind paywalls, so I can't guarantee whether or not you'll see all of them, but I'm trying here. I'm trying, you know. The rest of this seems to be about meta. Then there's another Washington Post article, and this one was posted on December 8th. It's titled, Diablo 4 Developers Work Long Hours, Bracing for Impending Release. Mismanagement and disturbing script changes contribute to delays, workers say. This is written by Shannon Liao. On December 8th, it was posted. There's a very, very strange uh, drawing here. I don't know where they got it from. It says it's from uh, Rebecca Dunlap for the Washington Post. So you have this ginormous uh, figure that looks almost metallic standing up, and it it's kind of meant to look like Lilith without completely taking the character. And there are uh, a couple of people standing sort of within her open like rib cage and what looks like a heart is sitting there but it's like orange and there's all these people pointing at it and trying to figure out what to do it's really weird it's kind of interesting so if, even if you don't care about this particular article you might want to check out the artwork on that one so here we go Activision Blizzard employees developing the upcoming dark fantasy action role-playing game Diablo 4 say it will be hard to meet a June 6, 2023 release date without working significant overtime in a process they say has been plagued by mismanagement. The release date, which has not been publicly announced or not been announced publicly, well, at the time of this writing, it, it hadn't been, uh, comes in the same month that Microsoft's proposed 68, $68.7 billion acquisition is set to close. The company is incentivized employees to crunch. The best-selling Diablo series has not seen a new mainline installment since 2012. Uh, I'm not sure if that's right. That's when Diablo 3 came out, but 2014 was the Reaper Souls expansion, so maybe they're just counting that as one thing. Um, and fans have been eagerly anticipating the latest Developers, in turn, have been afraid of disappointing gamers, and in interviews they described a beleaguered process of trying to meet a release date that feels unlikely without many hours of overtime or cut features. The release date had already shifted multiple times, they said. Fifteen current and former Blizzard employees spoke to the Washington Post on the condition of anonymity because they were not authorized to speak publicly about uh, company operations. They described a mounting sense of dissatisfaction and malaise among employees as they endured leadership changes at Activision Blizzard and on the Diablo 4 team. The Diablo team has been losing talent for over a year as employees look for more competitive wages and better work conditions elsewhere, according to employees. One group of about 20 developers working on one portion of the game saw about half of its members leave within a year, according to two former employees. Blizzard did not comment on attrition on the Diablo 4 team. Now, this makes me think about, uh, at least on Twitter, you've probably seen some of the Blizzard or Activision Blizzard uh, accounts saying, hey, we, we have all these jobs, and a lot of them were for Diablo 4. So I'm wondering if that connects to what these people were saying that were working there or used to work there. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I've never worked in gaming. I'm not sure. But if you put together this thing about people just straight up leaving for better work conditions somewhere else, and all of these jobs that suddenly opened up, Maybe there's a connection there. I mean, I can't prove it, but it kind of sounds like maybe something's not right after all. And we just 
Didn't know. Last January, Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick attributed the company's stock price drop to the game delay of Diablo in a Venture Beat interview rather than an ongoing sexual harassment lawsuit filed against the company in July of 2021. Quote, I think what affected the stock price more than the sexual harassment investigation is pushing out the release dates of Overwatch and Diablo, he said, explaining that was one of the reasons he was selling the company to Microsoft. This is bizarre, in my opinion. This is entirely bizarre. There's no possible way that, you know, Kotek would be unaware of the ongoing sexual harassment lawsuit that's been filed. I think there's been more than one, honestly. I remember that a high-powered lawyer was talking to a crowd of people right outside of Blizzard's headquarters with a woman who was uh, basically Jane Doe um, at the time about stuff that had happened to her. So that's bizarre that he would talk to VentureBeat, do a whole interview thing, and be like, you know, the problem is that we just have pushed the dates out too far on Overwatch and Diablo 4. You know what I mean? That's ridiculous. Like, how deluded do you have to be to not understand what the actual problem is? Especially when you have workers attritioning out. I mean, who boy, he's got some problems. Uh, to continue with this article here from the Washington Post, his comments frustrated some of the company's developers who felt he was blaming them unfairly. Quote, we felt very much like he just drove the bus over on top of us, said a male former Diablo 4 team lead. Blizzard Entertainment spokesperson Andrew Reynolds told The Post, as you may know, game development in general, and Diablo 4 specifically, follows an iterative process where the scope evolves over time. Production on the game is going extremely well. Overtime is voluntary. Voluntary? Overtime is voluntary. And limited to specific teams. We regularly regularly survey the team on their professional well-being and the latest results are the most positive thing are the most positive they've been in years i don't believe him i really don't believe him if kotek had to go out and say well the problem is that we just didn't you know we were taking too long to push out these games knowing about the sexual harassment thing that's still going on um you know that i'm the the lawsuits about it specifically and then have this guy be all like sunshine and happiness over here. You know, it's just, I don't believe him at all. I think this is propaganda garbage. And then there's a paragraph about crunching. Crunching in the video game industry is a common practice, but it's become controversial in recent years. Even while game developers continue working late into the evenings and weekends, sometimes secretly, despite wishing to avoid crunch, some Blizzard employees in recent months find themselves facing down long hours again, unwilling to publish an unfinished product. They described consequences of crunch that include chronic back injuries, insomnia, and anxiety, as well as less time to spend with family or to maintain romantic relationships. And I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit. The company has not explicitly required employees to work overtime in most cases and has offered employees various incentives as they rush to meet Diablo 4's release date, from profit sharing to covering meals. The company provides a $25 DoorDash credit to employees who work more than 10 hours a day. As we close the project, we understand that we are moving into a period where some people may put in some extra hours, read a November 7th email to the entire Diablo 4 team. Wow. And someone here that was uh, being anonymous says, we were never going to hit our date without crunch, said a former Blizzard employee of a previously intended Diablo 4 internal release date. And even with crunch, I don't even know if we would have hit our date. It kind of goes on from here. Uh, employees said they were offered more stock to stay on based on their position and seniority from around $5,000 in value for entry-level workers to upwards of 50000 for more senior employees. Uh, that they're going to, they're, they've been offered twice as many company stock shares when the game releases. And then there's a part here called disturbing revisions. Here it goes. Employees said the culture of the Diablo team was shaped at the top and that team leaders had trouble making decisions and standing by them throughout development. They described in some cases a siloed culture where it was hard to know what other people were experiencing. Diablo 4 initially began development over five years ago under the leadership of director Louis Bariga alongside lead designer Jesse McCree. Employees described a sense of inertia as large parts of the game would be worked on and then revamped and decisions stalled out. You might know those names. I mean, McCree is, uh, Jesse McCree was one of the people who was involved in shenanigans at a BlizzCon hotel or rumor some shit way back when and uh that's why they changed the name of the character in overwatch that was named mccree so yeah that so if those are your leaders mm -hmm, that's just a thing 
Anyway, uh, a battle royale mode for the game was discarded early on. McCree and Bariga did not respond to a request for comment. Some employees attribute delays to McCree, who they say had a tendency to micromanage and a scattered approach to development. McCree would grow intrigued by different aspects of the game and then lose interest and hand it off to other people without finishing what he started. Employees once said McCree was fired in the wake of the company lawsuit, company-wide lawsuit. After the initial shock to the team, they reverted some of the changes he had requested. Here's a quote from somebody. You could tell that they, meaning McCree and Bariga, weren't very confident. There wasn't a lot of vision for the game, said a former Blizzard employee. They were changing their minds a lot, sometimes without even giving things a fair shot, like over the weekend. This started to really slowly start to burn people out. In August of 2021, Bariga and McCree were fired, according to several current employees at the time. The company confirmed the departures, but did not share the reasons for the firings. McCree had been publicly photographed in 2013 alongside Alex Afrasiabi, who had been named in the 2021 lawsuit and fired in June of 2020 over multiple allegations. Uh, the most upsetting management decision for many employees came from Bariga's pick for creative director, uh, Sebastian Steffian. Steffian, who had been brought on in 2019 to revise the game's story, was previously created di- creative director on The Witcher 3 and head writer on Cyberpunk 2077. His decisions were a source of turmoil for the Diablo team, some employees say. While the practice of starting work and then scrapping it if it wasn't up to par was common at Blizzard, employees said Diablo 4 underwent a series of particularly disturbing revisions to the script. Stefion did not respond to a request for comment. In meetings held with Stefion, and I'm hoping I'm saying that right, there's like accents in here, um, employees faced various setbacks which delayed the story's development for months. According to five current and former employees, although Stefion had held a creative director title before, his background was more in cinematic directing than in game mechanics, and he approached Diablo 4 from the perspective of taking the entire game and rewriting it himself. In 2019, many Blizzard employees were disgusted by a version of the game's script that repeatedly mentioned the rape of a love interest and referred to this female character as the raped woman as her primary description. She doesn't have a name. Stefian had spent months working on this script, penning it in Polish and having a translator change it to English, according to several employees. Employees pleaded with leadership to revise his version of the story, saying rape had no place in a Blizzard game. Many expressed discomfort with the idea of adding rape to the game in what they considered to be an effort to make Diablo 4 feel grittier and tonally darker than the previous game, rather than engaging with the subject in a sensitive way. Two employees recalled to the post a line in the 2019 version of the game's script that was written as, quote, and then she was raped, comma, brutally. Employees would repeat the punctuation, comma, period, out loud to each other, alarmed by the direction Stefion had gone with the script. Rape has no place in the Diablo universe at a former employee. It's not a thing that we should be tackling because it takes a certain amount of nuance and a deft hand. Uh, The rape version, as multiple employees called that script, was ultimately overhauled in the same year, and the female character was cut from the story. Holy crap. (laughs) You know? (laughs) This is all just, like, really, really screwed up by the people in charge of it, you know? I mean, I can see if I worked there, I think I would be, like, really irate, you know? Um, And there's more. There's more. And I'll leave you to read it if you'd like to. It'll be, you know, in the notes at ShatteredSoulStone.com. Kotaku has an article uh, titled Feds Sue to Prevent Microsoft's Activision Deal from Going Through with an update here. Update 12-8-2022, 5.30pm ET. Kotaku received an internal email that Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotek shared with his employees regarding the FTC's efforts to block Microsoft's acquisition of the company. Here it is. Team. I wanted to provide a brief update on our pending merger with Microsoft. This week, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, FTC, announced its decision to challenge the deal. This means they will file a lawsuit to block the merger and arguments will be heard by a judge. This sounds alarming, so I want to reinforce my confidence that this deal will close. The allegation that this deal is anti-competitive doesn't align with the facts, and we believe we'll win this challenge. Thanks to all the hard work by all of you every day, we're on a strong path, bringing epic joy to play epic joy, bringing epic joy to players around the world with what I believe are the greatest games in the industry. 
industry. At the same time, the competitive landscape is shifting, and simply put, a combined Microsoft slash ABK, meaning Activision Blizzard King, not the group trying to unionize, will be good for players, good for employees, good for competition, and good for the industry. Our players want choice, and this gives them exactly that. You can read more about the specifics on those points in this update we recently shared with you. We believe these arguments will win despite a regulatory environment focused on ideology and misconceptions about the tech industry. Thank you for your dedication and creativity, Bobby. There we are. And then we have, now I don't usually pull in opinion pieces from The Hill, although The Hill is a decent paper um, or website, whatever you want to call it. Uh, There is one here. And it is titled, it's, it is an opinion piece, it is titled, For Once the FTC is Considering a Merger that Helps the Workers. This was written by someone named Chris Shelton. And when you scroll down to the bottom of this little thing, it says, Chris Shelton is the president of the Communications Workers of America, CWA, which represents hundreds of thousands of workers throughout tech, media, telecom, and other industries. Workers at Microsoft and Activision are organizing to join CWA through the union's code-CWA project. So that's who this is. Normally when I see something on the Hill and it says opinion piece, I go, nah, I don't want that. I don't care who that is. But this seemed relevant, so... The title of it is, For Once the FTC is Considering a Merger that Helps the Workers, and this is what was written. The coming decision about whether to allow Microsoft's merger with Activision Blizzard to move forward is a bellwether for American antitrust policy. By approving this merger, the Federal Trade Commission, FTC, has the opportunity to make a strong statement in favor of economic democracy and provide a blueprint for an enforceable remedy to protect workers from large employers abusing market power to undercut wages and working conditions. Labor considerations have for too long been absent from antitrust decisions, even though the potential harms to the workers as the result of mergers are evident. From the start, President Biden made clear that things would be different on his watch. Restoring the American middle class by strengthening unions has been a top priority for his administration, and the president issued an executive order calling on the Department of Justice and the FTC to strengthen antitrust guidelines to address labor market concerns, with a particular focus focus on the tech sector. Microsoft was well aware of this changed antitrust climate when it announced its intent to acquire Activision Blizzard, knowing that regulators would be taking a close look at the transaction's potential impact on workers. It was in this context that we were able to negotiate an unprecedented labor neutrality agreement, which, if the merger is approved, would allow workers at Activision to freely and fairly make a choice about union representation. Union representation and collective bargaining agreements are the most powerful tools workers have to balance power between themselves and corporations which have too much control over our economy, our democracy, and our work lives. Having a strong democracy doesn't just mean electoral democracy, although that is essential and not something to be taken for granted. It also means having more democratic workplaces with workers collectively, through their union, negotiating contracts and holding corporate power accountable. It goes on from there for a bit, but I just want to clarify, like, democracy does not necessarily necessarily mean just all the Democrats or all the Democrats and the couple of uh, independents that we have that tend to vote with the Democrats, mostly. It means more. It's more of like a system where everybody helps each other. That's like an older concept of democracy, but that's what they're talking about here. It goes on a bit more, and you can read a little bit about this uh, that I didn't say in the show notes with everything else that'll be in there. And now we get to Lilith, basically, so um, this will probably be a little more fun. But there's been several articles out that all just shot off articles into their whatever, you know, uh, website or company that they write for about Diablo 4. And so I'm just going to read you little bits of it because it's too much to just read all of. So, So PC Gamer has an article written by Tyler Culp, and it's titled Diablo 4 is the Diablo I've been waiting for. Blizzard's long-awaited sequel is extraordinarily satisfying to play within minutes. And there's, you know, of course, the picture of Lilith looking all grumpy at the top. Everyone's going to use this kind of thing. There are several ones you can choose from, actually. And he's this is basically just his impressions of the game and how it feels to play it and how happy he is about it. And it's really wonderful. He's playing a sorceress in Diablo 4. I'm assuming that means he's gotten into in the early stuff or whatever. Um, there are some pictures here that say development content not final that came out that I assume websites like PC Gamer can use, but it's pretty interesting. I'll read you a couple paragraphs and you can pick up the rest later. He starts with, My sorceress is probably freezing. 
I've given her an arsenal of spells that make ice fly out of her hands, and one of them spawns a snowstorm directly above her head. I click and click while she d she does the actual work of casting frost spells at legions of demons from hell. If I were adventuring in the frigid, fractured peaks, I'd invest in fire spells, but the gloves I found give my sorceress rank one frozen orb, and her build would be nothing without it. So frost spells it is. That's just how the math works out in Diablo 4, and it goes on from there. Um... And you can read the rest of what he thought, but I thought that first paragraph was, like, storytelling and really good. You probably noticed in the lead-up to the Game Awards that the Diablo account was running around Twitter and tagging different brands and, you know, I guess kind of threatening them with Lilith is coming and have different, you know, reasons for it. So there's one here I'm looking at from the official Diablo account. They tagged uh, the brand at Blizzard underscore Ent, Blizzard Entertainment, and wrote this... Your campus statues shall be replaced with altars to her. Hashtag Lilith is coming. That's just really strange to me because you would think that the Diablo account... Now, to be fair, the Diablo account, whoever's behind it running it, has really captured that kind of malevolence, you know, that kind of thing. They're doing a really good job. I don't know if it's one person or a bunch of people or what, but they're doing a great job. But it's just kind of interesting that here is Diablo that is... Uh, talking to Blizzard Entertainment, which is the company that makes the game about, you know, your campus statue shall be replaced with altars to her, right? There was a number of them that uh, went through, and some of them didn't make much sense to me, but there was one about they tagged the Barbie account and uh, said something like, your dream house will not save you, and hashtag Lilith is coming, and somebody below that put a little gif of Barbie like the doll and like her hands are to her sides and then they slowly cover up her mouth like she's terrified <laughs> you know it's kind of funny um but there's been a bunch of those you've probably seen several and I, I couldn't understand at first why they picked out certain ones it didn't seem to have anything to do with you know much at all I guess just to spread the hype I guess but Okay, so Sean, editor of the show, was saying that, you know, if they wanted to really get a lot of attention, they needed to go for, like, the Wendy's account and, like, all these other accounts that are, like, snarky in general, and that would have been interesting, but I don't have, I haven't seen anything that indicates they really did do that, but it's just, like, okay, so your brand is going to go harass other brands <laughs> about this thing that's coming out soon. <laughs> that sounds like you're threatening them to go to hell, you know? It's just the weirdest thing ever. Uh, here's an article from Engadget, and it's titled Diablo 4 Hands-On. This feels worryingly good. And then it says, don't fail me now, Blizzard. This is written by Igor Bonifaci on December 7th. About three hours into my preview of Diablo 4, I stumble upon the body of a dead priest. This discovery adds a quest to my journal to visit nearby Margrave. A short while later, I find a small village worn down by constant snowfall and all the monsters and bandits that lurk outside its palisade walls. Despite the town's desperate state, there are signs of warmth and humanity everywhere. By the south entrance, I find a woman praying for her deceased husband. She tells his gravestone how she can't sleep now that no one is snoring at night. Nearby, a man tells his adopted son not to venture outside the town's walls. I love these details. They remind me of some of my favorite moments playing Diablo 2. Whenever I went back over the years to visit the action RPG on my own, I would listen to everything the non-playable characters had to say. The game doesn't have very much dialogue by modern standards, but if you pay attention, it says a lot with very little. Looking back at my time with Diablo 3 and more recently Diablo Immortal, what stands out in those games rarely if ever is that those games rarely if ever slow down to take a breath. There's some pictures in here, and I'll leave you to read through some of that, talking about, like, the Diablo team and different pictures in here. It's it's worth looking at. But I love that there's been two articles now that go with, like, storytelling in order to tell you what they thought and felt about the game that they you know, had a little bit of time playing. Diablo Reddit, r slash Diablo, has a post here, and it's got... Previews for Diablo 4 are dropping among various news outlets. There's a list of blogs that you can read if you want to read all their stuff. They're all linked. There are preview videos from various... Um, these are all, like, blogs that write about games. And then there's uh, beta impressions. And in that list, there's Echo Hack has some, like, three other links next to his name. Wugio, Seattle Witch, Riker, Macrobioboy, Debrunsky125, and Nineball. 
um, are all in the beta impressions things. If you want to see what they thought about it, you can probably look at that. There's some key points here. One of them is crossed off as a spoiler. It says spoiler. It has a redacted black box. I've decided not to click on it because I don't want to spoil myself or any of you accidentally. And so there's just like some stuff that they've put in here that's pretty detailed. So you can check that out if you want. And again, they, they very helpfully put all these links together for you if you want to go hunting for articles about Diablo 4. Sometime after... The Diablo account stopped harassing other brands, um, <laughs> which I think is funny, honestly. They posted this. Her presence grows near, and there is a red rose emoji. It says, like this post to be notified of how you can contribute to her summoning. Hashtag Lilith is coming. And there is a little gif in here, and it says Lilith is coming all together with the hashtag in the front. It said uh, two, Thursday, 12, 8, 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. And there is a the face of Lilith with like all the horns and the glare. On, and there's like this like ritual circle behind her. Okay, So if you clicked like on this it will tag the account that said like that liked it so i tagged it through the shattered stone uh, soulstone account which is at shattered stone and the diablo account responded wise choice you will be notified when the ritual begins hashtag lilith is coming i didn't get notified of anything unless they meant it's at the games show you know or whatever the game awards but that's kind of you know what what I saw from this. In the meantime, though, there were a lot of people that did get something from Diablo, and it kind of matched the little design of the, like, circular design that was behind Lilith's head in the thing that I just told you about. And most, if not all, of the people who got those things were Diablo partners. So I'm thinking this has to do with, like, people who do YouTube videos about Diablo stuff frequently, streamers, you know, all this kind of stuff that have the Diablo partner tag. They got all these things. Now, if you haven't seen it, several of them got full-on red robes. You've probably seen, if you were on Twitter, uh, people standing around outside, some stuff that, you know, covered in these red robes and holding little signs <laughs> and stuff like that. So some people got the full-on entire red robe. And some people got a hood with like a like a cowl, like a shoulder kind of thing. And all of them got this like cloth that has like circles on it and it shows you where to place a candle and incense and blood of the willing, which some I can't remember who it was, but someone that was showing that, you know, said that it was like not for human consumption because somebody was going to try, right? And uh they give you this like whole little thing you can make an altar with and then you read the by three they come thing and you know you light all the things and you do that you, you say that little ritual thing and, and you know and Lilith did not actually appear for any of them yet but <laughs> I'm sure they'll find her soon in a few months time but I just thought it was kind of neat I did not expect to get anything I'm not a Diablo partner I don't stream in all this stuff but it just was kind of interesting to see all these extremely happy Diablo players getting all this cool loot. And I'll come back to talk about that loot in a little bit. In the meantime, we have not one, but two Diablo-focused uh, podcasts that came out. One of them is West March Workshop. That's Nine Balls podcast. And it's titled West March Workshop Diablo 4 Early Look. It was from two days ago. Uh, there's a little description here. Uh, the Reaper of Souls has descended upon the mortal realm, and it is up to you to stop his minions. Uh, uh, maybe that needs an update. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure. But in any, in any case, he always does good uh, episodes, so you can check that out. It's uh, on blizzpro.com. You can see it there or listen to it there. I think it's uh, video and audio. And then there's the Diablo vidcast slash podcast episode 12, and they were talking about the Diablo 4 release date, and they had uh, Xanth, Nineball, and Nerdwords on there, but the person that posted it actually got the wrong Nineball tagged because that's so easy to do. It's not really, like, you know, tragic. So there's the pictures of the people that were in it and a big old picture of Lilith on the side so you can see what they were talking about and, you know, listen in if you'd like to. So one of the things I do when I'm not playing video games or talking to you guys about video games or guys, gals, and non-binary pals, however you want to do that, and um, that's what I do. And most of the sites that I write for want press release type things. So I go find them and I put them and everybody's happy. I did not expect to find this one on BusinessWire, which is a website that just... You know, if you have a press release, you can put it there and they will post it for you. So this one was from Blizzard Entertainment. 
and it's got some art here from the Diablo 4 logo and or of the Diablo 4 logo and some other pictures from the game. This one is titled See You in Hell on June 6, 2023, pre-purchase for Blizzard Entertainment's Diablo 4, available now. And then it's got a couple little blurbs here, um, which it says, uh, The darkest, most expansive vision of Sanctuary to date offers players an abundant number of options to play their way. Raise hell with the pre-purchase of the Diablo 4 Standard, Deluxe, or Ultimate Edition, available now. There's some nice graphics in here, and there's some quotes. It's going to be cross-platform play and progression on Windows, PC, Xbox Series X or S, Xbox One, PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, plus couch co-op on consoles at launch. Here's a quote. We are excited to soon be opening the gates to our most brutal vision of Sanctuary yet with Diablo 4, said Rod Ferguson, general manager of Diablo. We are bringing the darkness of the original game, fusing it with the progression elements of Diablo 2 and the visceral combat of Diablo 3, culminating in the vast, active overworld of Diablo 4, which has been built to be supported for years to come. Players will have more choices than ever before as they battle unspeakable horrors, explore dungeons, collect legendary loot, and uncover what the return of Lilith the Blessed Mother means for the world of Sanctuary. That's a whole quote. So I'll read you one more paragraph and you can check all this out again from the show notes. The demon Lilith and the angel Inarius united to create the world of Sanctuary in their desire to escape the eternal conflict between heaven and hell. But now, decades after the events of Diablo III Reaper of Souls, they are bitter enemies who have resorted to war against each other with their respective followers. The lands of Sanctuary have become plagued with ceaseless demons, and only one and only the most steadfast of heroes will be able to hold in the face of darkness. Players will enter the world with their choice of five classes: the shapeshifting druids, agile rogues, elemental sorceresses, brutal barbarians, and cunning necromancers. As players grow in power, they can build their gameplay experience in directions that appeal to them, experimenting with skill trees to showcase complementing uh, showcase complementing spells and abilities. And then there's like some other details about you know bosses and stuff like that in there. Um, there's some pre-purchased things in here, but I'll get to that in a minute because I have that somewhere else in here. So there's that. If you're new to this podcast and new to the Diablo series, um, you can find... I did a whole bunch of, like, lore videos. Uh, I guess they'd be audios. I guess it was a podcast, yeah. I think I did did them as a podcast. They originally were on the Shattered Soulstone website, and then I moved them, and I put them back. So if you don't know much about Anarius, there's at least one... at least one talking about him in there. So you can check that out. I don't think that's a character that's seen been seen a lot within the games of the Diablo series, so and you can find out about that if you want to. I'm intended to make more lore stuff. I just need time and you know, to be a little healthier than I am right now. Wowhead has um, a thing called Diablo 4 First Impressions, Gameplay, Combat, Classes, and More. This one was posted by someone named Therid. Uh, it has the obligatory Lilith leering out at you, angry as hell can be. And so there's a table of contents that comes with this one. So this is what they're talking about. What was tested, the story, gameplay and combat, class and class design, classes and class design, itemization and items, dungeons and strongholds. There's a lot. There's a lot in here. So if you want to really just go through like the stuff that, you know, I don't think other sites are honing in on exactly then this is the one for you and you can even just pick you know which chapter essentially you'd like to start with and and go from there so it's pretty neat it's got a lot of art in here um stuff about how the class designs work max roll who does such great things like teaching you what build your barbarian should be if you want to or whatever class you're using for different diablo games they have a section here titled diablo 4 New Max Roll website branch, because each of those are a branch of a different Diablo game. And they're going to do Diablo 4. They're going to pick up all that stuff. There's a whole a bunch of little pictures here of the team that's going to be working on Diablo 4 and little descriptions of all of them and maybe what they're going to be doing or what they've done in the game before. So that's there. There's going to be class overviews of all of the classes. There's a getting started section for that huge like tree of skills that we're all going to have to face at some point. 
uh, vendors and items, elite bosses. This is the place to go if you want to like really learn a lot about what you might want to do in the game before you actually get the game. You might have some time to prepare. And of course, uh, the official cinematic trailer of Diablo 4 for the Game Awards is on YouTube. I found it on GameSpot trailers, but um, it'll be out. I'm sure a bunch of other places posted. I'm sure individuals probably posted it. I'm going to guess that the uh, sites that write about games probably have permission to post it. It doesn't look like it's, you know, it's ripped off of the Gaming Awards or something like that. It's it's better than that. So that video, holy cow. I'm not going to spoil anybody who hasn't watched it yet, but this was fantastic. It does tap into the whole thing with Anarius and Lilith in ways I'm not going to describe because I want you to watch this if you haven't watched it yet. It's got a lot of demons. It's got a lot of people on Anarius' side with, like, armor and stuff like that. And um, it's just remarkably good. And I'm hoping that this cinematic is going to be a good example of what we're going to see in-game. That's what I'm hoping for with that. I said I was going to come back to the uh, pre-purchased Diablo 4 thing. So here we are. There is an official news from Blizzard.com titled, Meet Your Maker on June 6th, pre-purchased Diablo 4. And there again is a very angry Lilith. There's a little bit of lore in here. It's teeny. Lilith has returned. Eons after her exile, her summoning ushers in an age of darkness and hatred. Anarius, former archangel of the high heavens, has also returned to the world he and Lilith created together. The two will once again cross paths, and what was built is now at risk of destruction. So there's that. It talks about which classes, and there's a video here, the official video. There's a beta uh, access thing. If you pre-purchase the Diablo 4 Ultimate Edition digitally, you receive all this stuff. So I'm just going to read it off if you haven't seen this yet. This is like the big one, okay? <laughs> uh, up to four days of early access to Diablo 4's launch. There are three asterisks after that, and I don't know where that's going. Accelerated Seasonal Battle Pass Unlock in Diablo 4 includes a premium Seasonal Battle Pass Unlock plus 20 tier skips and a cosmetic. This, I think, is going to bother people. Accelerated Season Battle Pass sounds like you don't have to do as much to get through that Battle Pass, and you're going to be quicker than people who don't have the Ultimate Edition. I think that's going to bug people. You also get Wings of the Creator emote in Diablo 4. I don't know what you do with an emote in Diablo 4, unless you're streaming. You need an emote. Uh, Hellborn Carapace Mount Armor in Diablo 4. Temptation Mount in Diablo 4. I don't know what these things look like. Early access to the open beta. That one's got one asterisk next to it. Light Bearer Mount in Diablo 4. Anarius Wings and Anarius Murloc Pet in Diablo 3. That's interesting, because they kind of did that when Diablo Immortal launched. You got, like, the big red wings and uh, some kind of creepy creature. I can't remember right now. I think, was it a murloc? I'm not sure. I'd have to go back in the game and check it out. But you got a pet that kind of went with the wings. Oh, it was a plant. It was, like, one of those plants. Amalgam of Rage Mount in World of Warcraft. Interesting. Because I don't think a lot of Diablo players are like, Oh, cool, I really want to play this thing in World of Warcraft. Um, I think... It's like two separate groups. So like you either love the Diablo series and maybe you, you kind of like, you know, World of Warcraft 2 or you love World of Warcraft and you don't really care about Diablo. So it's kind of a weird offering for the Ultimate Edition. There's also Umber Winged Darkness Cosmetic Set in Diablo Immortal. So if you're not playing Diablo Immortal and you want to collect all the cosmetic sets, you probably want to play Diablo Immortal. But you also have to buy that Ultimate Edition in order to access that thing. And then a digital copy of the Diablo 4 game. The pre-purchase with the Digital Deluxe Edition, which is not the Ultimate Edition, uh, gives you four days of early access to Diablo 4's launch, premium season battle pass unlock in Diablo 4, Hellborn Carapace, Temptation Mount, Early access to open beta, light bearer mount, the Anarius Wings and Murloc pet, the Amalgam of Rage mount, Umber Wing Darkness cosmetic set, and a digital copy of the game. If you get the standard one, 
Here's what you get. Early access to the open beta, light bearer mount in Diablo 4, Anarius wings and Anarius murloc pet in Diablo 3, amalgam of rage mount in World of Warcraft. There are asterisks behind all of these pets now, I'm noticing. Two little asterisks. Umber winged darkness cosmetic set in Diablo Immortal and a digital copy of the game. If any of these things that had one star, it says actual plat platform availability and launch dates of the beta subject to change. That's fair enough, you know. Uh, minimum open beta duration is two days. Limited time only, internet connection required, obviously. The ones with two stars, which are mostly the cosmetics and the pets, are downloaded separately. Availability varies by platform and region. Diablo 3, Diablo Immortal, and World of Warcraft sold separately, obviously. So that's a little worrying because that, to me, who has a Mac instead of a PC and wants to play this on Xbox, sounds like maybe we won't get those things on Xbox. I don't know. Varies by platform and region. Hmm. Well, I guess I'll just wait and see what happens. And then the ones that have three stars, it says up to four days based on estimated access, actual playtime subject to possible outages and applicable time zone differences. This is probably talking about when if you can get into the beta or whatever kind of thing. So you have to buy the game to get this. The Anarius Wings and Anarius Murloc Pet for Diablo 3 will be added to the player's account on December 16. And for the same platform, they pre-purchased Diablo 4 4. Oh, so I can get those wings. All right. There's another thing from Blizzard that just says Diablo 4. Get Diablo 4 on your preferred platform. Your progress is shared across all platforms. So they have a box for Battle.net, and it says Windows underneath it. Xbox, Xbox Series XS or Xbox One, and PlayStation, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5. You can compare the editions. I just read to you all of the things that they are going to actually get. And um, there's some pictures in here. They're tiny, but they exist. But what is this going to cost? Well, there's another thing, the actual uh, us.shop.battle.net. I have no idea if these prices are going to remain the same for outside of the US, but this is what I'm seeing. So the standard edition, that's like the lowest tier, is going to be $69.99. The digital deluxe edition is $89.99, and the ultimate edition is $99.99. You can pre-purchase this from this interface here, you can gift it to someone and you can add it to a wish list. That's what that's going to cost. So if you want to get all the goodies, you're going to need $100 for all that stuff for the ultimate ed edition. And the digital edition is just 10 bucks cheaper than the ultimate. So I think they're trying to push you to just get the ultimate. And the standard one is like $70 now. For some people, that's going to be something that they prioritize. And like, I'm probably going to get the standard edition because I don't need absolutely everything all the time. But some people want everything all the time, and that's fine if you have the money. But I don't know how many people, you know, who watched all the hype for the Di Diablo 4 release, you know, have $70 to throw at this game. It's a little expensive. It's not horrendously expensive, but it's like, there are going to be people that are going to have to budget for this. And that just feels overall yeah and there's a little like little boxes under each edition or little lines and you can see like you get these things if you got the standard or the digital or the ultimate and I don't know it's a little strange to me it's just a little bit strange so the idea that if you pre-purchase now you can receive early access to the open beta and the light bearer mount in Diablo 4 like I don't know I mean like okay from the article I read from the Washington Post, and yes, there were several, but the one where they were talking about the game uh, needing more time, basically, the people who were working on it, and why things weren't going very well at the time that they talked to the Washington Post. There's going to be people that are going to buy this thing right now, right after they saw the Game Awards. They're going to go, they're going to buy maybe the Ultimate Edition, maybe one of the other ones, and they're going to wait. And if we've been told that this is going to come out in June, if it doesn't, you're going to have grumpy people again, you know? So it's all kind of like, mm, is this going to work? I mean, I I don't know. What we've seen from the art and some, well, now the video that was released, there's a lot of really cool stuff in Diablo 4. We've been seeing little bits and pieces about it when they introduced different classes, like the rogue and the, the necromancer. Is this going to work? I mean, I hope it does. I have some concern about the FTC thing saying, no, Microsoft, you can't buy Activision Blizzard King. And then what does that do? You know what I mean? Like, I'm thinking about this from the 
concept of there's actual humans working on this stuff and some of them are unionized if I know Microsoft has said yeah we're gonna honor whatever unions there are when we when we acquire this company but if they can't if they're not allowed to acquire the company like is it gonna get even worse at Activision Blizzard I mean I'm kind of really concerned about that kind of stuff I don't know I don't have any insight I don't have any I don't know anyone that I would ask about all of this, and I wouldn't ask about all of this because it's none of my damn business, really. But um, I don't know. It's just like there's just such a dichotomy of, yay, we're going to be able to play Diablo 4, and what about the workers that are now going to have to do crunch for this because previous managers screwed shit up, you know what I mean? And I don't know. But we have months to agonize over this i suppose <laughs> and uh be excited and things like that i'm not sure how long i've been talking at you today there was a lot of stuff i had to leave out because it was repetitive or redundant and here we are so i'm gonna close the show so y'all can go and like watch the videos and you know have some fun with that sort of thing you have been listening to episode 389 of the Shattered Soulstone, your Diablo community podcast. Missed an episode? You can find the show blog and listen to the show archives at www.shatteredsoulstone.com. Come join us in-game. Our in-game community and clan, both named Shattered Soulstone, are open to anyone who would like to join. You could also join us on Discord for the ultimate team and community-based experience. We really do have people talking about Diablo 4 in there now, I promise. Uh, find the Discord invitation link on our Twitter and Facebook page as well as the Shattered Soulstone website. Thank you for listening. <laughs>